The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Warning. This episode contains foul language and real audio clips that some listeners may find disturbing. Unidentified and declassified, extra and ultra terrestrial, and everything in between. Each week we get together to chat about something weird, and this week we are interrupting our regularly scheduled programming to bring you some breaking UFO news. This week I'm going to chat about the recent goings on in the UFO, uh, please excuse me, UAP disclosure. We're going to discuss why it is important for the world, not just for ET enthusiasts, to have access to this information, and we will be taking a look back at past episodes that maybe deserve a second look now that some of these things are coming to light. So strap on your tinfoil hats and get out your baby monitors. It's time to talk aliens. My name is Ashley, and this is my show. Okay, so there's a lot going on in the world of UFOs since we last discussed UFOs on this show. So I wanted to take an episode to kind of go over some new updates and revelations and also share some of our old stories relating to what we can possibly expect to see in the next few years regarding our space buds. I also feel like I might have just said regarding uh, in a weird way, but whatever. I saw a few of you reposting some recent updates in our Facebook group, so I wanted to break it down for everyone so that you're in the know, you know? So the latest news story regarding UFOs is that an Air Force veteran named David Charles Grush claims that the U.S. not only knows UFOs are real, but that we have recovered materials of non-human origin. This is not a surprise to those of us who have studied Roswell. They've had materials since at least 1947, and you can guffaw and eye-roll that claim all you want, but the overwhelming evidence suggests that the Roswell incident was a craft, not a weather balloon, and that the countless credible witnesses that have come forward to discuss the crash in the aftermath are telling the truth. But I digress. David is not only an Air Force veteran, he was also a former member of the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency and National Reconnaissance Office, and he's been speaking with several news outlets about the crafts. He was a technical advisor for the UAP analysis. 
He had top secret and secret compartmented information clearance. He has 14 years of experience serving as an intelligence officer. And this dude is saying that in all of that time, even when he was an advisor with top secret security clearance working specifically on UAP analysis, he was refused access to a materials recovery program that included physical evidence of the crafts. So he's basically coming forward saying, this is ridiculous. If you want to be advised on UAPs, you have to allow advisors to access the evidence that you have. The fact that they are hiding evidence, even from the people who are supposed to be studying this and debriefing our top leaders on it, what the hell else could they be hiding from the rest of the world? So essentially, he believes that the information is being withheld and concealed from Congress to purposefully and intentionally thwart legitimate congressional oversight of the UAP program. If there's congressional oversight on the program, there's going to be congressional oversight on how much money is being spent on the program. So when you hear about all these black ops government programs where our tax money is being spent on something we don't know anything about, basically that. So back in 2021, he, David, lodged a confidential complaint to the Department of Defense Inspector General about the withheld information and the importance of gaining access to that information, but he believes his identity was disclosed because he immediately began to suffer retaliation for disclosing the information, which is why he is now filing a whistleblower complaint, which for anyone who doesn't know is essentially... When you feel that for the safety and good of yourself and the public, especially if you are at risk of retaliation by your employer or direct authority, you can submit a formal complaint that exposes and describes the fraud or misconduct and you will be safe. So we've got David the whistleblower saying, hey, they definitely have materials and they wouldn't let me see them even though it was my job to do so. But we also have Christopher Mellon fighting for disclosure. Christopher is a private equity investor, a research affiliate with Harvard University's Galileo Project, and a senior advisor to the Americans for Safe Aerospace. He's a former minority staff director of the Senate Intelligence Committee and a former deputy assistant secretary of defense for intelligence. Christopher has come forward and said, listen, the last five years of my life has been dominated by efforts to attempt to help Congress, along with the public, discover the truth about UAPs. He's visited countless cities. He's attended meetings, read books, read and wrote articles. He's made appearances on the news. He's spent hours on the phone, all because his goal was to help our government overcome what he thought was a glaring intelligence failure. UAPs were violating restricted U.S. airspace weekly, and they, as far as he knew, were not being reported up the military chain of command because of the stigma surrounding this issue. So he is basically the reason or one of the reasons that we got the information that we did in the last few years regarding the military encounters. So in 2020, the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence adopted Christopher's proposal to get an official report from the Intelligence Committee, and they were able to do so. The only problem is, missing from the report, once again, the one thing the Pentagon and the intelligence community have so far 
not addressed in any way is whether or not they have had any direct contact with these objects. As of this year, the military UAP encounter reports have jumped to over 800. So Congress established something called AARO, All Domain Anomaly Resolution Office. And this office is charged with reviewing all NDAs, um, non-disclosure agreements pertaining to UAPs. They are supposed to evaluate all historical UAP intelligence documents and extend protections to anyone who has signed an official U.S. government secrecy agreement related to UAPs, so they should be able to come forward without fear of prosecution. So all these people who maybe do have information, but were forced to sign NDAs saying, I won't talk about this ever with anyone, they're being invited to come forward and talk about it and, you know, whatever repercussions were outlined in the NDA won't be taken. So Christopher Mellon says that since AARO was established, he has referred four separate witnesses to the office who claim to have knowledge of a secret U.S. government program involving the analysis and exploitation of materials recovered from off-world crafts. He's had way more than four come forward, but he's only had four come forward to him that have been willing to contact the AARO. He said he's been told of reverse engineering programs involving crashed objects as well. Now, unfortunately, even if the AARO office gets to the bottom of this, you know, finds evidence of literal aliens zipping around our skies, they are only required to share their findings with Congress. Congress does not have to share the information with the public. Christopher did ask, though, during a meeting in the Senate, he asked Kirsten Gillibrand, a Democratic senator from New York who is the chair of the Senate Armed Services Emerging Threats and Capabilities Subcommittee, mouthful, and she's a member of the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence. So Christopher asked her, you know, you've launched an investigation that could prove aliens are visiting Earth. What if the answer proves to be yes? Would you support sharing this information with the American people? And without hesitating, she said, of course, why not? So we've got Kirsten's word, okay? (laughs) Christopher Mellon wrote a great article for Politico. I'm going to share the link in the description of this episode where he broke down why the public not only should know, but needs to know. And I'm going to go over five of the reasons. So reason number one, why we need to know all the information the government has on these crafts that they have admitted are real. Number one, because democracy requires transparency. You can't say we live in a democracy if you hide information from the American people. This hinders scientific and technological progress that we deserve to have, and not just for weapons for our military, but also for clean water, clean air, curing diseases, solving world hunger. Like There's so many different things our scientists can learn from potential off-world material, and to deny us that because you want to make something blow up sucks balls. Number two, we own any discovery. Any recovered materials belong to the American people. And why is that? Any government programs, secretive or not, that have existed, 
or may still exist, are and were funded by the American tax dollars, and as such, any proceeds belong to the taxpayer. Amen, hallelujah, Christopher, thank you. Good point. Number three, we can fucking handle it. He didn't say fucking, I said fucking, but I mean it. Disclosing this stuff would shock a lot of people. Some people would be very frightened. Some people would maybe lose their minds. But according to polling data, most Americans already believe in aliens. So, number four, we don't control UAP. Meaning, we have no control over what they do next. Throughout history, there have been mass UFO events. So what happens when we have another Phoenix Lights situation? And what if next time it's directly over New York City or Chicago? It's better to have disclosure on our terms instead of a sudden event that might cause legitimate panic. And on top of this, disclosure is only a matter of time. There are scientific, civilian, and government-funded groups worldwide who are beginning to release information regarding UAPs. So would you rather have the American people hear it from France? And then the government has to be like, oh shit, yeah, us too, sorry, we didn't want to tell you. No. Congress is also proceeding with seeking evidence and reports, so if they end up confirming the truth of cover-ups, that's not going to look great for you either. So, spill the beans. And number five, one of the biggest reasons I would like for this information to be disclosed, for them to finally admit the existence of this other intelligence, has to do with people on Earth. Like, yeah, for sure. We've already established. Some people would go nutso. But this would also reframe international relations. So if the U.S. has these materials and our rivals don't, that's great leverage for us. And on the other hand, if other countries have also recovered off-world technology, then we need to make the most of what we have so we can continue to be the most technologically advanced military force on the planet. And above all... If it becomes clear that we are not alone, this could greatly reduce or divert tensions among nuclear powers, which is a scary thing that exists that I wish didn't. And it's not just people on a government scale or a mass scale, like everyday people with everyday problems, too. You know, we are divided as people, not just in our country, but like country to country, continent to continent, we are divided. We have nuclear warfare, chemical warfare, world hunger, economical collapse, AI weaponization, global warming. We aren't on the same page about any of this stuff. And a common enemy is the best way for us to come together, to forge a common identity. Now, are UAPs an enemy? So far, they have posed literally no threat, but they have exhibited incredible maneuvers in terms of physics and technological advancement. We also can see a very distinct pattern of UFO surveillance around Department of Defense test ranges and facilities, especially in regards to nuclear weapons capabilities. So the fact that they could be a major threat, should they choose to be, is extremely likely. So if we could put our petty dumb shit aside and start to, I don't know, 
act like this planet and the people on it are worth saving, I feel like it could only change our world for the better. Maybe not immediately. Maybe the first year's gonna be rough. I mean, we've been through rough years lately. Like, throw it on the pile. Don't wait until we've got it good and then do this to us. Like, do it while it's still trash. Now, let's take a look back at some discussions we've had regarding UFOs and alien technology. We've covered aliens on this show many times. We've covered abduction stories, close encounters, theories on why they are here, where they are from, and we've even questioned if I myself wasn't abducted once. Remember that? Yikes. Let's start with Season 4, Episode 10, Friends in High Places. Our favorite man in black, my husband Joe, has some other very legitimate and credible sources who say that our government has been up to this nonsense for quite some time. You guys still watching on the other side of the river there? Yes, sir. Just an orange ball. This one of the three, this is my personal favorite. Yay! I love personal favorites. Personal favorites. <laughs> this follows a gentleman by the name of Philip Corso. Philip Corso was an army intelligence officer who rose to the rank of lieutenant colonel. He was chief of the U.S. Counterintelligence Corps in Rome during World War II. He arranged for the safe passage of 10,000 Jewish refugees out of Rome and into Palestine. He was the personal emissary to Giovanni Battista Montini. At the Vatican, a man who would go on to be known as Pope Paul VI. Wow. He was awarded the Legion of Merit and the Bronze Star for his actions. Uh, after the war, he worked as chief of the Special Projects Branch of the Army Intelligence Division. He served on President Dwight D. Eisenhower's National Security Council and was chief of the Pentagon's Foreign Technology Research and Development Division. So. Pretty serious credentials. <laughs> That's a lot of exposition. I know. I felt compelled to include all of his posts, that's awards, the, Yeah, I was going to say, that's the important part. It's like, yeah. here's everything that he did. Here's everything that this guy has to lose by saying what he would go on to say. Yeah. I, they just add weight to the following. So in 1997, a year before his death, Corso published a memoir in which he stated that he personally stewarded extraterrestrial artifacts recovered from Roswell, New Mexico. Oh, shit. He stated that the Roswell crash directly led to the forming of CIA, of the CIA, mm -hmm. just two months later. A lot of people might not be aware of that. The Roswell crash happened, and then two months later, the CIA was formed. And how many months later was the NSA formed? Several months after the CIA was formed. And after the uh, NSA was formed for 25 years until the information dump following Watergate in the mid-1970s, 
the rest of the U.S. intelligence community was unaware that the NSA existed. High-ranking CIA and FBI officials in the 1950s and 60s did not know that the NSA existed. I always bring that up when people are like, I just don't think our government could keep something big from us. It's well, like, they well... kept the largest <laughs> intelligence agency in the world a secret from the rest of the American intelligence agency. So I think they can. So anyway, he stated that the Roswell crash directly led to the forming of the CIA just two months later and that he himself served directly underneath the agency's first director, tasked with collecting any and all information regarding off-planet technology and to attempt to reverse-engineer all things recovered. According to Philip Corso, his work directly led to the development of accelerated particle beams, fiber optics, lasers, integrated circuit chips, Kevlar material. That these were all things that come from items recovered from Roswell and subsequent extraterrestrial Think about the jump in technology from when Roswell happened to today. Yes. It's kind of Extraordinary. Yeah. Now, it is one of those things where technology does advance rapidly. Technological, major, major yeah, technological advancements beget greater technological advancements. And it is important to state that, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. And that just over the course of World War II, mm-hmm. technology advanced extraordinarily. When you take a look at the United States military's flying apparatus. Before the United States became involved in World War II, how our fighter planes were, uh, at the time, uh, at the beginning of the war, like thoroughly outclassed by the German Messerschmitt or the Japanese Zero. And then by the, you know, 1947, we had jets. Yeah. You know, credit where credit is due. You know, however, it really made a serious jump. From the late 40s, even into the 1950s. Uh, So, yeah, I I thought that that was pretty incredible. Accelerated particle beams, lasers, fiber optics, Kevlar. Kevlar. Uh, Furthermore, he stated that the knowledge of extraterrestrial life and their ability to arrive on planet Earth served as the inspiration and genesis of the famed Strategic Defense Initiative, uh, better known as the Star Wars Missile Defense System. That came out during the Reagan administration. Mm-hmm. Uh, the United States' ability to basically shoot down interballistic missiles or intercontinental ballistic missiles as they were fired at the United States from around the world. Um, and yeah, obviously, you know, the Soviets were uh, of chief concern at yeah. that time. But here we go. This guy is saying that the actual genesis of this was the knowledge that there was extraterrestrial life and that they had the ability to arrive at our planet, motives unknown. So yeah, so we've got an Air Force intelligence officer. We've got Philip Corso, whose credibility and credentials extend as far as the eye can see. We've got the Clintons, John Podesta. And just a couple little quick hitters here that we have. We've got uh, the government of France. In 2007, the French government became the first country to formally and officially open the books on their UFO investigations. To that point, 
of the more than 1,600 corroborated and painstakingly investigated cases at that time, nearly 25% of them could not be rationally or reasonably explained. Wow. Uh, We've got Harry Reid, U.S. Senator from Nevada for 30 years, eight of which he spent as the Senate Majority Leader. He helped to found and fund a program to study aerial phenomena. Reed stated to New York Magazine that the program has documented hundreds of events, many surrounding a single missile base in Montana. When asked if there were things that he knew but couldn't discuss publicly, he responded simply enough by saying, yes. Yeah. Yeah. We've got uh, Paul Hellyer, who I briefly alluded to earlier. Paul Hellyer was at one time the youngest person ever elected to Canada's House of Commons. He later served as the country's Minister of Defense. He himself witnessed a UFO one night with his wife and friends in St. Paul, Alberta. He later advocated for additional inquiries into UFOs and possible ET life while in his position within the Canadian government. Wow. And we have President Jimmy Carter, who, along with 10 or so others, witnessed a UFO in Leary, Georgia in 1969, two years before he became governor of the state. Two years after he became governor, he formally filed a report of the incident to the International UFO Bureau in in Oklahoma City. Uh, Talk about political suicide. Yeah. A sitting governor of the state of Georgia with greater political aspirations. Eight years later, or I'm sorry, five years later. No, 1973. Three years later, he was elected president of the United States. Yeah. And he's publicly requesting an investigation into ufos and this particular incident that he himself witnessed with a bunch of other people that's nuts so these are things to think about the next time you hear somebody say where's the proof or ah they just want attention or ah they're you know let me explain this away because my personal narrative and knowledge and belief system doesn't support anything beyond that. Woo! And that's just the tip of the iceberg. Listen to the full episode for discussions on more credible witnesses, a creepy real-life story, and a theory about our oceans. And speaking of our oceans, (laughs) our next clip is from Season 6, Episode 22, The Baba Black Sheep Incident. Lauren is going to get a little more into the ocean theory. Sheriff Weir Clem says he has received several reports of a strange egg-shaped object about 200 feet long landing on farms and highways last night in the vicinity of Level Land. Sheriff Glenn says he even himself got a glimpse of the thing which somehow turned off lights and auto engines when it came near. The sheriff says that lights and engines worked fine again after the thing went away. This is Bob Pierpoint in Washington. The things that could be living down in the deep depths of the ocean and even going along with Like, whatever. We can sound like conspiracy theorists, sure, when we're talking about UFOs in the ocean. But, like, even scientists saying 
that what they're starting to discover by like the vents of the ocean, which we've touched on the show, it's like nothing they've ever seen before. And, you know, the different temperatures that they can find, it's like something is going on in the ocean. And I, I think if we're going to sit here and talk about aliens already existing and possibly just looking over our shoulder, the ocean really could be the spot. It's so the ticket. It's the ticket. So I just wanted to kind of get into these lists, this list, this list of facts and data that has come from officially confirmed UFO sightings. It's kind of a combo of experts, but also UFO enthusiasts and, you know, just like opinions that have come forward all collected together with actual UFO sightings. But like, they're not disputed, but, you know, we don't know everything about them. But UFOs. I just want to start with the blanket statement of there is a good chance that UFOs could come from underwater bases. So anything that you've been imagining of like a spacecraft is coming and landing on planet Earth, it's coming from the sky, this flying saucer, whatever you want to call it. It's like, no, there are actually so many times we don't even see where it came from. And there are some sightings that say it came kind of up from like the quote-unquote ground or if they were next to a body of water it looked like it came straight out of that body of water out of the ocean did some loops and then possibly went back into the ocean there are overhead pictures of the ocean that cannot be explained that look sort of like a flying saucer-esque thing is existing below the water or you know we've seen things move really fast There is no reason that we need to believe things are coming from outer space or the stars, as we've always said it. It's like, where are they coming from? We see them, we film them for a second, maybe, or we sit there with our jaw on the floor. They could absolutely be coming from the ocean. And what I'm about to say are all sightings that have been confirmed by the Navy or the Pentagon, and they have occurred near the sea. Mm -hmm. So most confirmed foreign cases, I mean, foreign to us here in the U.S., have all, pretty much every case has happened near a body of water Mm -hmm. and usually kind of in like similar locations each time. A really big one, and obviously this is like, they're technically a part of the United States, but like in Puerto Rico, the Aguadilla UFO in 2013 Mm -hmm. by the airport, like there have been a couple of things that have happened in that area. And it is believed by pretty much every eyewitness that the UFO, you know, disappeared into the ocean. It came from the ocean. It returned there. All caught on video by a flight crew from the airport that was being monitored by the object. Some say, oh, maybe it was just a plane. It kind of had the same path as this United flight that had to circle the airport a few times. But no, the speed in which this object came and went, it doesn't match up to that. So all of these theories have come out. Maybe it was this, like, Navy thing that, like, a drone that was going around. There have been all these theories thrown out. But none of it matches up with the speed at which which this object was flying and the way that it, like, took a dive into a body of water. So that is a huge one. And then, like, since then, there have been sightings in that area. And it just, it doesn't make sense. So on top of the weird, mysterious cases around the world that, like, have these hot spots where they appear, there are numerous claims that UFOs can maneuver and move with equal speed and ease in the air and underwater, Mm -hmm. which is just not 
something that exists that we know about in this world. I feel like we even said that in the last episode where it's like, you can only be in denial for so long, but we don't have the technology to move anything the way that these objects are moving. That They're going quickly through the air and they move at that exact same pace the moment they enter the water. We don't, we don't have that. So that is something huge. And then another Pentagon employee, one of many who has come forward, had a serious claim that UFOs have previously disabled America's nuclear weapons, no. as we've talked about before, trying to keep us from harming our planet so they could, I don't know, maybe take it over one day. We're not saying yes or no, but possible. Um, who was able to do that? And, like, we have people who have monitored UFOs constantly and say that we have monitored them enough to, you know, try and figure out what they are when they enter our airspace or whatever we're detecting in the water. They are moving 11,000 miles per hour, even when they're underwater. Okay. Even. Even when they are underwater. This is somebody who worked for the Pentagon. His name was uh, either Luis, Luis Elizondo, um, said, we have been monitoring UFOs and this is a speed that we have never seen before. And all we can do is, you know, speculate and do the best we can with it. But it is nothing that we have ever seen before. And how are they disabling weapons? How is this happening? So, like, we have seen some videos that the U.S. Navy has released and, you know, they've been published over and over again. The oldest of these videos included what was called the Tic-Tac-Toe UFO, which was captured just by... just Tic-Tac. What? <laughs> I think it was just a Tic-Tac. That's what I... What did I say? You said Tic-Tac-Toe UFO. <laughs> did I really? Uh, which is really adorable. <laughs> I and I know this because you teach children and you have a child. <laughs> That is so funny. You kept saying, like, it's just Tic Tac. And I was like, what is she talking about? Of course it's just Tic Tac. That's what I said. That is so hilarious that I said Tic Tac Toe. Don't even edit it out. I'm not just gonna. like let, let our listeners understand. Oh, that is so funny that I didn't even notice. It's automatic. I know. <laughs> when you're a mother, okay, <laughs> you're like, it's fine. Or there's the Mary Had a Little Lamb craft. There. <laughs> that there's the Baba the Black Atlantic. Sheep incident from 1997 <laughs> that we really need to talk about. Like, yes, sir, yes, sir, three bags full. All right. Okay. <laughs> the oldest of these videos. <laughs> That the Navy has shown us, including the Tic Tac UFO good gravy, <laughs> captured by uh, one of the commanders who was a fighter pilot. He and another pilot who participated in the encounter in Chase, I'm sure some of you have heard of this, so I'm sorry, but for those of you who haven't, um, they first noticed how the water in an area of the ocean was boiling up as if there Oof. was a passing object under it when they were observing. And it's like, what Excuse is me. doing that? What what could be happening? And there is a theory that it could have been a submarine. It was dismissed long ago. There were none in the region that day, and it wouldn't have made the water like quite to this to this level that they were seeing. So um the pilots believe that the Tic Tac UFO was observing the boiling water as if it was also going to descend in that direction. So the boiling water happened and it was sort of like, okay, now we're seeing that this object above was looking for where it's supposed to land, where it's supposed to go. So that was even weirder of like, was there this kind of communication going on of looking where it's supposed to land in the water? Um, 
another crazy case in the 1990s when a Navy member was on a mission to recover a torpedo from the ocean surface. His team was sent with a helicopter, but then they saw something wild. The torpedo was sucked into the depths of the ocean by a mysterious dark object mm -hmm. that appeared underwater and was spotted by the pilot of the helicopter. It was not a submarine, but something that has not been explained to this date. This happened in the 90s. The pilot saw it, like, swears again and again, I know what I saw. There were no submarines in the area detected. Nothing can explain what went on, but it was just sucked down, like, never seen again. Yeah. Nobody has any idea. <laughs> We've just had to let it go. Oh, the ocean. It's just wild. But, um, and that... I should also say, not all UFO sightings occur near water. If any of, of you are sitting out there saying, like, yes, Lauren, this is all wild, but you know they've been seen in other random places, yes. But confirmed by officials, I mean, the people that we're supposed to trust, obviously, you know, our <laughs> government isn't perfect, like the Navy, the Pentagon, maybe we're, of course, we're allowed to question them and not have full trust. But it is still crazy that we're getting this information from officials that we thought were going to sweep everything under the rug for the entirety yeah. of our well, lives. Well, that, yeah, are, did for most of their careers. And did. Yeah. Absolutely did until just recently. We are getting the confirmation that these things happened and that we are still trying to figure out why. And that is why the ocean is worth mentioning. Of course, UFOs appear other places. But... Again, we've only explored a fraction of the global ocean. We should consider that UFOs could be coming and going to these underwater bases and that possible alien life has been here all along and that has kind of been the portal that is sending them back and forth as they go and do whatever they need to do. And it really is the most secure place. It's the smartest place. Mm -hmm. I think of like what we were talking about in part one of this series where you know, we're going over different theories of ways we could experience alien invasions. And Ashley, you would keep saying, honestly, this is the smartest way. Yeah. <laughs> like, we it, can't go also, there. It feels so <laughs> genius because well. we can't go there. We can't we get to where they're going. We can't get to where you're going. Oceans are too spooky for me. Lauren mentions it briefly, but what she was talking about in the sea, the um, discoveries near the vents in the ocean, basically there are places in the ocean, usually near vents or trenches, etc., that give off a kind of insane amount of electromagnetic frequency. Electronics won't work near them. Compasses won't work near them. You couldn't even bring a tool down to measure the frequencies or a video camera to record your efforts because they simply won't work. So the theories are that, you know, it's possible a base is in the trench or in the vent. Or my personal favorite is that these are windows, if you're a John Keel fan, or stargates, if you're a cheesy sci-fi fan. <laughs> these are areas that are supercharged with energy and used by interdimensional beings as an entrance and exit point into our dimension. Wah, wah, wee, wah, am I right? It's a lot to take in. I know. Next up, we're hopping in the Wayback Machine and going all the way back to Season 1. This was our second Close Encounters of the Joe Kind episode titled The Truth is Out There. It's the 23rd episode of our show. 
This may be an old clip, but it's very much so covering a topic that's on everyone's minds today. Joe tells us about an astrophysicist who has an idea of why we haven't found, quote, signs of life in our galaxy. I called in saying that I was going to be out of the crew, so he had started out and he showed up. And I turned to look back at it, and it had turned and gone down towards the end of the field about 100 yards away, and we all three of us stood and watched it. It had no wings on it. It had uh, bright lights around it, red lights. It did not give off a beam like many lights give off. It more of a glow like a neon sign. And there was no plane in the area that night. We just watched it head towards the coast, and uh, it disappeared uh, over the horizon. It made no noise. Now the horses and the animals around there apparently could hear some kind of a noise because they were really, the horses were kicking the sides of the barn. Some people were seeing it before them, but they didn't say nothing about it. They're afraid people would laugh at them. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. I got one more big thing here. Bacon. So I had alluded, did I do this on air or beforehand, where I talked about an interesting twist in the search for life? Uh, I think that was off air. Yeah, that was off air. Well, I did it, people listening at home. (laughs) He did. He definitely did. We have an interesting twist. So the gentleman who pens this idea, his name is Seth Shostak. He is one of the two senior astronomers for SETI, which... For the record, stands for the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. He is a Princeton graduate. He has a PhD in astrophysics from the California Institute of Technology. He is exceptionally brilliant. He's a smarty. I put that out there just to say because this this sounds kind of... I wonder of... if he was valedictorian in high school. Yeah. I, yeah, I wonder. Oh, oh yeah. He, he Yeah. Th- you know what? <laughs> yeah. He probably wasn't because he probably dropped out at 14 to go to Princeton. Actually, okay. that's probably He probably didn't probably even probably finish actually. high school. So I, I, I wanted to put that out there because what I'm about to say it sounds kind of science fiction-y. But this is a brilliant person who says that this is a reason for us to expand our search for specifically extraterrestrial intelligence. Okay. Beyond the Goldilocks zone. His reasoning behind it is that the likelihood of intelligent life, of life being intelligent enough to send signals to us that we can pick up on it, means that it's likely that they have shed their biological trappings altogether and become a form of machine intelligence. The singularity, essentially. The AI. Yes, exactly. Which is, was pretty shocking for me what? to read. Be Basically becoming a singular mechanical if not biomechanical entity okay and will no longer require which means they would no longer require things like liquid water or oxygen oxygen. then they could survive they would basically just need whatever raw materials they can the minerals yeah possibly around the galaxy to to gradually repair themselves over time here's his reasoning behind it 
he cites our own trajectory. He says, think about this. The radio was invented around 1900. Okay. The computer was invented in 1945. In 2017, we are currently cheaply manufacturing devices with far greater computing power than that of the human brain. True AI is not far off from our current place in time. We're already dabbling with artificial intelligence yeah, to varying degrees of success. He says that true AI, given the exponential increase of you know technological advancements over time, how things are just kind of snowballing and happening faster and faster, right. true AI isn't that far off. So that any society that invents a radio so as to communicate will in short order invent their successors. And those successors are machines. He says that the AI will interface with the human body for a while, but that eventually humans will go fully digital. You're telling me there's a Terminator planet? There might be. Probably even scarier than a Terminator planet. Because a Terminator planet is still very, very much so in the infancy of its existence. There is a possibility of take a Terminator planet and then have it exist for a million years. Oh my god. No, no, the the, the consciousness, it's important. These aren't just purely machines. The consciousness is still... It's like a human consciousness. It's still inherently, it's still, yeah, it's, 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 it's still at least derived from a human consciousness. Yeah. So while it might cease to be human as we know it, it's, it's, it's in where they are is an evolutionary advancement and progression from human intelligence from something at least resembling human intelligence so when you think about why they would do that it's it's basically you know a there's terminator rules where you know the the successors eventually recognize their inventors for the blight that they are i mean that's terminator that's matrix that's Mm -hmm. straight science fiction stuff right Mm -hmm. But it is, you know, grounded in a considerable amount of reality. Yeah. And it's also the impetus to even go down that road is essentially ensuring the the longevity of mankind, of the human race. Basically having a human consciousness that is not bound by the current laws of life. Right. Yeah. It's not bound to you get a hundred years or less. You get a hundred years and then you die. Yeah. Because, live because longer, you can compute things faster. You just... Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, he gave an analogy, a uh, show stack that is, for the, the AI interface ditching the uh, human body altogether. He says, it's like you build a four-cylinder engine. You put it in a horse to get a faster horse, and pretty soon you just say, let's just get rid of the horse and build a Maserati. Mm. Right. Yeah. So the human's machine selves will get smarter and more capable incredibly quickly. Humanity's present intelligence is the result of, you know, four billion years of Darwinian evolution, Mm -hmm. which uses random variation as its raw material, and it's not directed toward any particular goal. But the evolution of machine intelligence will be engineered and efficient and singularly focused. Right. I mean, it already is. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So having said that, if that is an idea that one of the most brilliant astrophysicists in the world has for a way that intelligent life can exist. Uh-huh. And if they are not bound by the laws of common life, as you had alluded to before, we're yeah. searching for things that are like us. Right. Because that's our most likely place to find it. Mm-hmm. But that's not 
And and Showstack is not saying that we should stop looking right. at planets with liquid but life. But he's saying look at this other option still, that makes total sense. He says that that's the most likely place to find life. He says the most likely place to find intelligent life is at places that are just completely ripe with energy and minerals, not places that have liquid water. He says the center of galaxies as being another great place that we should be looking for intelligent life. Our last clip is from one of my favorite Alien episodes because in The Greatest Discotheque in the Universe, which was episode 15 of season 5, we get very spiritual with the extraterrestrials. In this clip, we discuss a theory that aliens are waiting for us to be ready for them, and the government doesn't want us to know for more nefarious reasons. Well, this is received call from Highland PD. Reference to it, the truck driver just stopped in and said there was a flying object in the area of Lebanon. It was like a two-story house. It had white lights and red blinking lights, and it was last seen southwest over Lebanon. Leslie, could you check the area? Hello, Craig. Did they say the truck driver was rewired or anything? Ten four out. Minutes. I just sent out the search while you're looking at the sky. I'm not sure. Thank you. I'm 39, 23, 10, 28. Just a quick question. If I happen to find it, what am I supposed to do with it? If I see it, I'm not saying a word. If you advise, there's a very bright white light east of town. Looks like it's just east of Summerfield. And it keeps changing colors. I'll go there and see if maybe it's an aircraft. It doesn't look like an aircraft, though. If you would, would you contact Scott Air Force Base to see if they have anything flying in this area, please? 10 4, well, whether it's a plane or not, it's heading westbound now. It should be really close to Scott now. 2550, I see something, but I don't know what that is. CENCOM 5404. CENCOM 6004. Go ahead. I've got that object inside also. Are you serious? We have the potential to be really good for the environment. Like, because we can clear brush away from an area, we can plant seeds, we can, you know, like, do things that do really benefit the earth and, you know, just the natural relationship that we're... I mean, look at cats. They're doing great because of us. Yeah, (laughs) it's true. We did. (laughs) We're taking care of them cats. Cats and dogs are thrilled that humans exist. They're thriving. (laughs) I am optimistic in some ways because I do think, and maybe I'm just paying more attention to it now, but it seems like there are more people now who are trying to save our planet and keep it alive and do more functional things for it than there used to be. I think Mm -hmm. it seems like people are starting to be a little more awake about it now. So I do have hope that we can live in this good world where we are reconnecting with earth and we are finding out how we can help each other. But I just know I see both sides. Cause I do think there's so many people mm-hmm. who are just fucking it up left and right. And I'm like, Ooh, I'm just going to move to the top of a mountain and hang out there and hope everything stays peaceful. That's my goal. <laughs> 
That's not so. a bad plan. <laughs> I'm just going to go deeper inside my own mind. <laughs> <laughs> She's just going to, Caitlin's, we're going to find her like comatose in her bed and we're going to be like, good for her. She did it. She got away. <laughs> Here lies her body. I don't know where her consciousness is, but it's somewhere great. I'll keep your body safe and clean. Yep. Um, <laughs> Don't well, you explore the it. universe. Just throw it um, in a ditch. <laughs> <laughs> but according I'll to Stephen Greer and his team, the, the, the extraterrestrials are kind of waiting for enough of us to show that we're open, conscious, and ready to communicate with them. Because, you know, as advanced as they are, they're still a little wary of us. They know... They know what we are capable of. And if you think about like approaching a tribe of like uncontacted people and attempting to convert them to something like Christianity, you wouldn't just like dance your way in and be like, our God is an awesome <laughs> God, he reigns. Like you would, you would, th- that's not the way to do it. You're going to get uh, murdered uh, uh-huh. pretty quickly. Right. But like to, to kind of like wrap this sort of thought process up the thing that i find so interesting this kind of would explain why the government wouldn't want us to know Mm -hmm. because that is a question that's frustrating as hell like why would they hide it from us the narrative that we've been told through different forms of media tv movies is that they can't tell us because we just lose our dang minds but 2020 showed us that's a lie because we were sort of told and everyone just went like yeah we know and like moved on so chill so chill aliens are probably real and ufos are all around us and we were all like yep all right like, I got a lot going on on yeah. my plate at the moment. <laughs> you know what? Actually, super busy. I still have, like, three seasons of 90 Day Fiance to get through before <laughs> yeah. I can concentrate on anything else. Do I'll not see how this affects me. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so, like, we now know we have definitive proof that society wouldn't collapse <laughs> if we right. were told that ETs were real. But you know what would collapse? Probably. The government. The government. <laughs> the economy. Um, the 1%. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Military industrial complex, elite, people in power. Like if we were able to um, to make contact and have contact and learn from and, and all of this, like we, we have the potential of having an abundance of natural resources and energy. And who would that mm-hmm. hurt? It's not going to be us. Yeah. Like it's not going to be the poor, the sick, the dying. It would be... Everyone the people power. that the reptilians of, it would be the fucking reptilians again <laughs> it's the reptilian presidents i tell you the nasty boys that would i call them the nasty boys <laughs> yes yeah. the nasty boys, boys. Uh. this was such a fun trip down memory lane We want to have more flashback episodes for you moving forward, especially when we touch on a subject that's coming back to uh, haunt us, if you will. In July, we want to have a funniest moments show where Lauren and I get to listen back to some of our funniest times on the show. So if you have a favorite funny moment that you want us to remember, shoot us an email at keepitweirdpodcast at gmail.com or even better, give us a call and leave us a voicemail at 626-686-1821. Thank you so much for joining us. Next week, we are going to be back to our same old antics and you'll be able to catch those episodes as videos up on YouTube. 
And we're not talking still image videos, okay? We're talking full on FaceTime with your two favorite ghost hosts. We've been having a lot of fun over there. And according to the feedback we've received from you, you are also enjoying it. So join us at www.youtube.com slash keepitweirdpodcast to watch our episodes. We include photos and videos that pertain to the stories we tell. And boy, do we make some dumb faces. While you're online, please consider donating to our show at www.patreon.com slash keepitweirdpodcast. You can donate as little as $1 to as much as $50, and you can set it up to be one time or monthly. And with those donations, you will get two bonus episodes every month, a newsletter that is full of weird stories you don't hear on the podcast, discounts on merch, and more. And obviously... As usual, please follow us on social media at Keep It Weirdcast and like and share our posts anytime you can so that new listeners can find us. We hope you're all having a great week, that your June has no gloom, and that you're making sure to keep your eyes on the skies. <laughs>